0: And I am going to pray. Father God in heaven, you are indeed the only wise God. We pray that this morning, as we come under your word, we've heard it read, as we hear it preached, would we give you glory? Help us to understand, we ask, by your spirit, in your name. Amen. Don't fall in with a bad crowd. It seemed like my, my whole life when I was younger was spent hearing people say that to me. Don't fall in with a bad crowd. I don't know, kids, whether maybe someone said that to you recently. Teenagers, maybe someone said that to you really recently. I don't know. Why do parents, why do teachers say that to us? Well, of course, it's because of the effect that the people we hang out with can have on us. What they're really saying is stop hanging out with those people because they might drag you down. Or on the other hand, start hanging out with those people because, against all the odds, Daniel, oh no, that's my mum, sorry, they might drag you up. At the church I went to when I was about 11 or 12, after the Sunday morning service there was a, a football match. All of the lads in church would decamp to the other end of the hall and we would play football. Now, this was in Liverpool, so it wasn't just a little kick around. I told this to Sarah the other day. She did not believe me. There was a lad that I went to church with that used to come to church with shin guards on. He, he would sit through the, the whole service ready for the 12 o'clock kickoff where he would fulfill his role as the midfield enforcer. Now, just like here, we weren't allowed to play football after church. There were drinks that could be spilt. There was equipment that could be broken. There were little old ladies that could be knocked over, although she did forgive us afterwards. And, and every Sunday morning before we got into the car, my dad would sit me down and he would say, you are not allowed to play football. He, he had a vested interest. He was the pastor. All of the complaints came to him. You are not allowed to play football. And every week, he would say, don't be dragged down. Don't hang out with him. Don't go down to the other end of the hall. You won't be able to resist. And every week, somehow, I'd find my way at the other end of the hall. My foot would be really itchy, and I'd start playing football. I can remember one particular week, my dad walked into the hall, and I mean, I had just scored an absolute thunderbolt into the top corner, but but I tried to claim that I hadn't been playing football at all. That was the first time I'd kicked it. In in fact, the ball just hit my foot. I wasn't even playing. He might have believed me if I hadn't have been pouring with sweat, gasping for air, as I was telling him. If only I'd hung out with the right people. That's a little bit like what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 16. Paul is telling the Roman church here, hang out with the good guys. Keep away from the bad guys. Don't fall in with the wrong crowd. Instead, hang out with the good guys. Here's where we've got to so far in Romans. This is our our last week in Romans. We've been going since September. Some of you won't have been with us for the whole time. In chapters 1 to 11, Paul outlined the gospel. He told us that everyone is justly under God's wrath and judgment, but that they can be justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And they can then live in the Spirit while heading for a certain future of glory. That was Romans 1 to 11. Then in Romans 12 to 15, Paul showed us what a life lived out in response to that gospel would look like. A new community of supernatural love, a community of people who love one another and welcome one another because God first loved and welcomed them. And then finally, last week, Paul got round to his big ask, his dragon's den pitch. He said to the Romans, I want you to partner with me in the gospel. Partner with me as I head to Spain. Nobody in Spain has ever heard of Jesus. Paul told us last week, in Asia, we've reached people, but we need to go west. Paul was like one of those early American pioneers. If they were camped up for the night and they had their fire burning, but they looked further west and saw another campfire and some smoke, they would think, oh, there's someone braver than me. There's someone with more opportunity than me. There's someone with more prospects than me. There's someone who's been where no one's been before. And they'd pack up their stuff and they'd go further west. Paul was like that with the gospel. He wanted to go to unreached lands as a gospel pioneer. And last week he asked the Roman church to partner with him in this missionary outreach. So here's Romans through the gospel, Romans 1 to 11. God creates a new community of supernatural love committed to gospel partnership. That's Romans 12 to 15. And so in Romans uh, 16, Paul says, firstly, stick with and imitate the good guys. Secondly, watch out for and keep away from the bad guys. And thirdly, give glory to the only wise God. So, firstly, Paul says, stick with and imitate the good guys. In these verses, Paul introduces the Romans to the good guys. Of course, they're not good in and of themselves. They're just people who deserved God's wrath, but heard the gospel, believed in Christ, came into a community of supernatural love, committed to gospel partnership. And Paul tells the Romans to stick with them. And to imitate them. Just look at verse 1 and 2. For Phoebe, she's probably going to be the courier for this letter. She'll be the postman. And Paul asks the Romans in verse 2 to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. Does that sound familiar? Flick back to Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Paul tells the Romans... To Romans 12. There's a Romans 12. What does Romans 12 13 say? Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now, we like our postman. We really love our Amazon delivery man. Who doesn't love their Amazon delivery man? Is, is there ever a more exciting thing than to think that I'm about to open a box and I don't know? Well, I mean, you do know what it is because hopefully you've ordered it. And it's just a world of possibilities inside that parcel. Well, we might love our Amazon delivery man, but Paul tells the Romans here to Romans 12 -er, Romans 12, Phoebe. But Paul gives them an immediate opportunity to put his teaching and gospel living into practice. Give Phoebe a place to stay. Give her food to eat. Be friends with her. Treat her as one of your own. And what's more, Paul gives them another reason. See that halfway through verse 2? For, or because, she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Phoebe, this great woman, was Christianity's first gospel trust fund. She gets what Paul is talking about to the Romans. She herself has given money to gospel work. She's given money to Paul as a missionary to fund him to preach the gospel. She's on board with the idea of gospel partnership. She'll be totally on board with the idea of a gospel partnership to Spain. So, as the Romans welcome her in obedience to Romans 12, they also get to stick with one of the good guys. And Paul's hope is that Phoebe's life will rub off on them and they will imitate her. And that's all Paul does through Romans 16. He flags up people who have heard the gospel, flags up people who live the gospel, and he tells the Roman Christians to greet them, to spend time with them, to hang out with them, to be friends with them, in the hope that they will then imitate them. And let me spend a few minutes telling you about some of these people in Romans chapter 16, verse three to 16 they're a diverse bunch i don't know if we've got any top trumps fans i was a massive fan of top trumps as a kid here's some stats that you might like i don't know if it's possible to make a roman 16 top trumps pack i don't think it would sell very well at Chessington garden center 18 of them have greek names that means that they're probably from the east from asia eight of them have latin names that means that they're probably from the west they're more european Seven are Jews. Eight of them are women. Paul here counterculturally emphasizes female role models. And they come from a, from a huge variety of different social spheres. It's probable that nine of them were slaves. Just look at verse 9. Urbanus was probably a slave. Urbanus is a wish name. That's a name given to a slave by a master because that's what they wished they would become. Uh, urbanus means well-refined or polite. Uh, that means that maybe Urbanus was a big, rough, rugged, riotous man who became a slave uh, and his master hoped for something better for him. There are a few people who think that they could call their husbands Urbanus this morning. But, but then let's compare Urbanus with Herodian in verse 11. If Urbanus is this rough and ready slave, Herodian was probably from royal descent. He was a Herod. He was in the Herod family. He was probably the grandson of Herod the Great. He would have had manners. He would have been polite and refined. But while his grandfather tried to kill the Lord Jesus when he was born, Herodian worships him at a church in Rome. They're diverse, all sorts of different types of people. But just glance down, look through, what do they all have in common? There are just some repeated themes through these verses. They all love the Lord Jesus. They don't just love the Lord Jesus, they work hard for the Lord Jesus. And Paul loves them because of it. Those are the things they've got in common. Those are the things that they all have. Can you see it repeated again and again? Look at verse 3 and 4. Priscilla and Aquila, they are workers in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us that they, they literally, they put their necks on the line for him. We don't know when. Paul doesn't go into it. They knew. We don't know how, but they lived out Romans 12 to 15. They thought of themselves less than they thought of Paul. To the point that they were willing to lay down their lives for him. Uh, Look at verse 5. Appenitus. He was one of the first Christians in all of Asia. If you're an Asian Christian here this morning, isn't that amazing? He is one of your spiritual ancestors. We don't have time to go through all of these people. I've I've been blessed this week to look at them. But but let's just look at a, a few more. Look at verse 10. Greet Apelles whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Again, we don't know the specifics here, but Apelles has gone through a hard time. He's gone through suffering. He's gone through a test, but he has clung to Christ through it. What a a great example. Look at the three women in verse 12. Tryphena, Trifissa, they were probably sisters, and Persis, all women who work very hard in the Lord. What an example. Uh, look at verse 13. This is my personal favorite. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Uh, maybe that speaks to me as someone who, whose mom is 250 miles away and whose wife's mom is 350 miles away. Uh, Rufus's mum, at some point, she's taken Paul into her home. She's told him to go and have a wash. She's done his ironing. She's cooked him a roast. She's given him some crumble and custard. She, she's ruffled his hair. She's told him to relax. She's kissed him on the forehead. She's told him she, he can stay as long as he wants. She's been a mum to him. That is Romans 12 to 15. She already had a son. She had Rufus. But she loves Paul in that Romans 12 to 15 way. And then in verse 16 Paul turns to those who send them greetings there to greet and stick with people but then Paul flags up other people from around the Christian world who are greeting them. These names show exactly the same diversity. Erastus, uh, the person who we were looking out for earlier, did you spot him? Well Erastus in verse 23 I'm sure many of you younger ones will have done uh, the history of ancient Rome recently. Well, Erastus, Paul tells us, was the director of public works for the city. He he lived in Corinth. That means that he was on the cursus honorum. Have you done that in school? The way of honor. It's the ladder of success that you had to build on to get somewhere in ancient society. Uh, Basically, it means he was extremely posh. He became the mayor of a global city, and from an early age he was groomed to be the prime minister. That sounds eerie, doesn't it? But Erastus loved the Lord Jesus. All of these people that Paul flags up in Romans 16 are the good guys. As he repeats, greet them, greet them, greet them. Paul is telling the Romans that these are the kind of people they want to be spending time with. These are the kind of people they want to be friends with. These are the kind of people whose lives you want to look at, rub off on you, and then imitate. Very few of them are full-time gospel workers. Most of them are people with normal 9-to-5 jobs. In fact, I don't think workers' rights was particularly well advanced in ancient Rome, so they probably worked a lot longer than 9-to-5. But as soon as they clocked off, They were working hard for the Lord. They were allies in Paul's mission. They have gospel priorities. So for us, if we believe the gospel of Romans 1 to 11, and in response to it, we want to live out a life like Romans 12 to 15, then we too should be spending time with people like those in Romans 16. If you're younger here this morning, then that could mean going along to to Fusion Club later in the summer or going to Fusion every week, going to JF Camp, JF, YPF Camp, going to Contagious. Uh, They would be great things to do, not just because you'll be taught the Bible, or that's a great thing, not just because you'll get to spend time with other people your age who might love the Lord Jesus, that's also a good thing, Uh, but thinking about Romans 16, because there... You will get to spend time with the leaders. People who personify and exemplify Romans 16. People who work hard in London every day from nine till way past five and gun it back on the train in order to teach you the Bible. Those are the people you want to be spending time with. You want their lives to rub off on you. But parents, are are we modelling this type of life to our children? We can't just leave it and outsource it to the youth leaders. If they don't see it in us, they won't imitate it themselves. For all of us, there will be a host of people as we look around this room that we can look at and know already that we know live these kind of lives. Let's spend time with them. Let's imitate them. There will also be people who we don't yet know maybe they've been here for a while and we've just not met them yet. Uh, This summer, there's sure to be people moving to Chesterton. There were many last summer. And they're moving to this part of London, not because they've heard of uh, the Red Rose and the incredible curries that they can get there, not because they've heard they can get free tickets to Chesterton World of Adventure, but because they want to come to this church, because they have got gospel priorities, because they want to hear the Bible taught here and serve the Lord and work hard for Him here. This morning, we're delighted to be able to welcome the Bialis. There will be more people over the summer. Let's practice Romans 12 to 15 on them. They'll be very grateful. But but in turn, we will then get to spend time with people who, who live lives for the gospel. And Paul says that as we do that, it will be this virtuous cycle of obedience to the Bible And reciprocal, seeing what it is like to live a life for the Lord Jesus. But please notice too, the love that Paul has for them. It's clear all the way through, isn't it? He specifically calls four of them his dear friends. Literally, he calls them his beloved. He loves them. But this is the kind of love that can come only from working hard together in gospel partnership. You might have been part of this church for a little while, uh, but it might be that you don't yet feel like people here love you, or you don't quite feel like you love people here. Now, that that could well be. That will be because we don't perfectly live out Romans 12 to 15. Uh, But it could also be that you're not serving the Lord here yet, Because as you serve the Lord together with people, as you work in gospel partnership, you learn to love them and love them in a way that you can't outside of the gospel that brings us together. Here in Romans 16, Paul tells them to stick with and imitate the good guys, it's a way for them to live out Romans 12 and 15 that we've seen for these last couple of months. It's a way for them to learn more what living in gospel partnership looks like. It's the way that Paul is preparing them to join with him as they partner with him in the gospel as he goes to Spain. Paul isn't calling him into a holy huddle. The purpose is mission. Now, let's take 15 seconds. Kids, turn to your parents. Parents, turn to your kids. Tell them one thing that you've written down. Maybe even ask them one question that you have so far. Uh, and, And it would be amazing, wouldn't it, if we turned to maybe the person next to us and did the same thing. Let's take 10 seconds to do that now. Okay, thank you. Secondly, uh, and very briefly, Paul tells the Romans to watch out for and keep away from the bad guys. Uh, We've heard about the good guys. Now come the bad guys. Let me read from verse 17. Please follow along with me. Verse 17. "I I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. These verses seem to come a little bit out of nowhere in the flow of Romans, but it's clear that at the end of this letter, Paul wants to take this final opportunity to to urge them to watch out I've flagged up the good guys, but be careful, not everyone's a good guy. There are bad guys too. This seems to be a general warning. It's not clear that there's a specific threat already in the church that Paul's warning them about. And it's not clear that there's a specific threat outside the church that Paul's warning them about. He's just generally saying a true statement that there are people who will cause divisions in churches... And put obstacles in the way of faith. The only command in this whole chapter comes at the end of verse 17. Keep away from them. Paul is firm. Uh, John Stott was a pastor up in London, and he said that these verses give us uh, three really quick ways to diagnose people that we should keep away from. Uh, Those three things are uh, are they biblical? Are they Christological? Are they moral? Are they biblical? Is what they teach in the Bible, or or is it, as Paul says in verse 17, contrary to the teaching you have learned? Are they biblical? Are they Christological? Do they center their lives and serve the Lord Jesus, or do they serve themselves? And are they moral? Do they promote good or, or evil? If you get the wrong answers to those questions about someone, Paul says, watch out and keep away from them. And in verse 19, Paul again confirms that the Romans are are doing well. He's done it throughout this letter. They're obedient. But just because they're obedient now doesn't mean he doesn't have to warn them for the future. And in verse 20, we see that those enemies who cause division and put up obstacles only exist because there is a great enemy. But there is a joyful hope that peace will come and evil will soon be crushed. And that verse, verse 20, joins us with that great promise of the serpent crusher in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, I think Genesis three fifteen is William's favorite part of the Bible. That's because every time we mention the sneaky snake, he gets to go along to the kitchen drawer, pull out a green straw, and he scrunches it up. He can even put it in his mouth and spit it out and throw it in the ground and jump on it. If he wants. What well, little boy wouldn't want to do that? And that is what Paul says here. We will soon do to the evil one. So Paul tells the Romans. Through the gospel. God creates a new community of supernatural love. So stick with and imitate the good guys. Watch out for and keep away from the bad guys. Uh, but finally. Paul turns our attention upwards, and he says, "Give glory to the only wise God." These last three verses of Romans are just one really long sentence. Paul would not have passed his SATs grammar when it comes to this sentence. It's hard to read. It's quite hard to understand. Let's try and help. Just look at the first three words of verse twenty-five. Now to him, then skip down to verse twenty-seven. To the only wise God. That's what he's saying. Now to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Glory to God. But in between those two parts, uh, Paul goes back to the very beginning of Romans. And he echoes what he wrote in Romans chapter 1. You might want to flick back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 1 to 5. And you might want to skim-read those verses and see the similarities with what Paul says at the end. Uh, Kids, this might be something that you might want to do uh, over lunchtime or later this afternoon uh, with your parents. At the beginning and at the end of Romans, Paul says the same thing. It's what he wants the Romans to have in mind as he starts the letter and as he ends it. God is able to establish them. It's not up to them. It's God's work. And he's able to establish them in the gospel he's outlined in Romans 1 to 11. The gospel that's about Jesus Christ. The salvation story that was God's eternal plan. It was a mystery contained in the Old Testament, uh, but revealed at the right time when the Lord Jesus became flesh. And all of that was done for the purpose of Gentiles coming to obedience. If you're still in Romans 1, you'll see that in Romans 1 verse 5. It's the same at the beginning as it was at the end. Living a life of obedience, Romans 12 to 15, in light of and because of the gospel. And Paul joyfully says that the Romans are obedient, uh, but now he wants them to enter into this gospel partnership with him to reach Spanish Gentiles. Uh, This is us drawing to the end of our time in Romans, and as Paul ends this letter, the only thing that he can say is, now to the only wise God be glory. Who else would be so wise as to devise and then fulfill a plan of salvation like this? a plan of salvation that takes those foolish people from Romans 1 who exchanged the truth that they knew about God for a lie of their own creation, who, who, who were sinful, not righteous, not a single one of them, who, who deserved God's right judgment. What other God would take those people and adopt them to sonship through the death of his own son? and then give them an eternal hope so that they can say, we are more than conquerors. And who then enables them to live a life of community together. And then, ask them to be the vehicle to take the gospel around the world. What a wise God. Glory to him. No wonder Paul says, now. Now. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. As we come here to the end of this book, we should, of course, look at the first half of the book and glorify God for his work for us. Uh, We should, of course, uh, glorify God for what he will do in us. But primarily, we should be moved to glorify God for who he is in himself. And Paul here draws our attention to God's wisdom. The last word of this book is is amen. At the end of this, saying amen would mean saying, may God confirm and bring to pass all that he has wisely planned. I'm going to pray now to end. I'm going to use Paul's first doxology at the end of Romans 11. It's a little bit of a longer form of what he says at the end of Romans 16. If you believe the gospel as we have seen in Romans, then at the end, you can say heartily, Amen. Let me pray. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay them. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him, be the glory forever. Amen.